politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, independent conservatives, and all-around common-sense Americans to this, the conservative revolution here at the Conservative Review Podcast, an independent conservative revolution, not just anyone. We are independent-minded here, where we give you the perspective from the Constitution, from law, politics, history, all without the cult of personality. And boy, is there a lot of cult of personality going on these days, although it is a very quiet news day on this, the last week in August, August 26th. Um, Certainly looking forward to the kids going back to school after Labor Day, at least here in Maryland. Uh, But it was it was a quiet weekend for me. I took a lot of time off and I actually began to appreciate why it is that so many of our people are asleep. Every day, even a day like today, which is extraordinarily quiet, uh, probably among the quietest days I've had at least in a year, there still are so many stories out there that I want to share with you that I'm not going to have enough time to share with you. And I feel they're teachable moments. They're things everyone needs to know about. They're things that, man, if everyone would know, not just the traditional conservative base, but really the broad array of of common sense Americans that that still think along the traditional ways of politics and policy that define this country for most of our 200 plus years. If they would know about it, they would be in, in an uproar. But they don't know. And I guess part of that is because our lives are so good. Let's face it, these days, we all certainly have our own individual health or wealth, challenges. Um, Everyone has their package that's given to them by God. But generally speaking, we live good lives. And I'm telling you, I unplugged over the weekend. I did so much stuff with the kids. We went biking and we... uh, did so much outside because it was finally cold or at least cool. And uh, I certainly wasn't going to pass up that opportunity. And then my son looked at me and he said, can we repaint up my room? And I was thinking, oh man, I'm not really in the mood, but it was a valid request. So I just did it spur the moment, prepped the walls, ran out and then just worked nonstop. And then I woke up today with such a headache. Some of it is, I think I was just, uh, dehydrated from from doing everything yesterday but the point is i was thinking i could have gone on like that for a number of days and i wouldn't miss politics i wouldn't miss what i do for a living and i guess that's how most of our people live and i don't blame them the problem is we have a left that is inexorably working plotting scheming to implement their utopia, what I call their de-civilization agenda, to flip the law on its head, to make citizens of illegal aliens, to make a man of a woman, a woman of a man, redefine marriage, make the criminals the victims and the victims the criminals, make law enforcement the criminals. They do this stuff every day, and our, our people are asleep. That's the question, how to keep conservatives focused. And frankly, I'm still struggling with that. But with that said, with that introduction, there is a lot 
going on today. I want to share with you here today on the screen. I, I really want to put this up so you could see um, our graphics team made this for me two years ago. Explaining what is the system of government we adopted. On the one side, there's a system that I think we all agree was adopted in 1789. Three co-equal branches of the federal government, along with the 50 states, and they all sit on an equal playing field under the Constitution. The Constitution stands over that. No one branch has a greater claim to the Constitution, to power to interpret or enforce the Constitution than any other branch. At best, even if you agree with the concept of judicial review, it's not judicial supremacy. It's only that the courts can also, for its purposes, when the civil society interacts with its branch of government, like the other branches, also interpret the Constitution. But not only they can interpret the Constitution. On the other side of the ledger, you got a system of government that we never adopted that is more tyrannical than anyone can imagine, but it's the system that seems to be prevailing. That the courts, the Supreme Court, but really, until you appeal, and unless they overturn, it's really the lower courts, created by Congress, by the way, stand on top of that food chain. They stand on top of the executive branch, on top of the legislative branch, and on top of all 50 states. And anything they say irrespective of whether they had power to adjudicate that case, irrespective of the statute, of the Constitution, of history, of tradition, of any consequence, anything a district judge says on anything is the unquestionable law of the land unless it's somehow overturned by the Supreme Court. And then once the Supreme Court weighs in, then certainly it's the, it, it's the unquestionable law of the land, immutable, irrevocable, and there's nothing we can do about that. Folks, that is more power than that of a king. In fact, courts have been accorded the power of God. And it's amazing to me that we don't question this. And every day we go on without questioning this is another day that we lose our republic. And that's what I really, I've been seeking ever since I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty, to focus the minds of so many of our people as they focus on these elections, I, I say, look, it doesn't matter if the courts are accomplishing for the decivilization agenda more than anything the left could accomplish through the legislature if they were to win a smashing success one year, winning a bunch of governorships and Congress and the president. We, we spoke about this last week on Friday in the context of this crazy judge just snapping his finger and saying, I'm vetoing 130 years of immigration law, the law against inducing and encouraging illegal immigration. And this judge happened to be the brother of the president of La Raza, a racist open borders organization. They actually just renamed it to Unidos US or something, I guess because they got a bad rap for, for having a name called The Race. But anyway... There's more cases I want to share with you just to start off today's show. This is from the Washington Times. This also happened Friday. I didn't get a chance to uh, to talk about this with you guys. I just wanted to share it with you today. It's, it's addict control. 
Idaho must provide gender confirmation surgery to a transgender inmate living as a woman for years, but who has continuously been housed in a men's prison, a federal appeals court said Friday. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with a federal judge in Idaho that the state's denying the surgery for a 31-year-old Adri Edmo amounted to cruel and unusual punishment, a violation of the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution. So, I mean, they used to say it's like, you know, 14th Amendment, it's First Amendment right to express yourself, that taxpayers have to give you uh, money to mutilate yourself, and we call it surgery, like like a bunch of Orwellian uh, uh, propagandists. But now it's a violation of cruel and unusual punishment if you're arrested, you're convicted on a crime, you serve time in the joint, and you say, you know what, I'm really a man. So what? So, And look, I'm not trying to be cute here. I guess they're saying that unless this is a woman and she wants to be a man, so unless we what? We, we attach a, um, you know what, a male thing between their legs and remove and mutilate their, you know, chest? I, I, I don't know what that means. But under the ruling, Edmo would become the first Idaho enemy to receive gender confirmation surgery while in Idaho Department of Corrections. This is a complete win for Miss Edmo, said her attorney, Laurie Rifkin. Our client is immensely relieved and grateful that the court recognized her basic right to medical treatment. <laughs> Dude, I mean. I, I, I just I don't know what to tell you. Courts could now do something that God doesn't do. I mean, a king, King George never did this. How a single lower court could say that states have to cough up the money. And, and here's what I keep telling you, folks. Even to the extent that when a court gets a statute or a constitutional interpretation wrong, and you believe that we should abide by that opinion. That's only when they're granting relief to a plaintiff. In other words, we are doing something negative to a plaintiff, and the plaintiff wants relief from that. But if the plaintiff comes to court and demands a positive action, I want taxpayer funding to mutilate my body, a court has no power to appropriate funds. I mean, this is literally what Hamilton said in Federalist 78. They have neither force nor will. They don't have the force to appropriate funding. So everyone's like, Daniel, shouldn't we, you know, just defy the court? I'm like, well, yeah, for sure. But it's not even defying a court. A court doesn't have the power to appropriate funding. I mean, this is out of control. You can't make this stuff up. However, I mean, could you imagine, you know, the, especially in Idaho, but even nationally, which is less conservative than Idaho in Congress, you know, passing a law that you have to, let's just say, either castrate a male, add a thing to a woman, take off her, you know, chest. Could you imagine that passing? The, the public debate we would have, yet nobody's going to know that overnight, unelected judges are being accorded that final arbiter status to say what the Constitution is. So, you know, the slippery slope to this is, what if they say that the Constitution mandates that taxpayers 
must pay for cutting someone's thing off. And it's in the Eighth Amendment. I mean, that, that's a new one. Friends, Romans, countrymen, if you don't see this point, I can't help you. If you don't see how nothing matters until we answer this one question, who has the final say in constitutional interpretation? And the answer is not the courts. The courts could adjudicate an individual case, but the courts can't say for a broad population, oh, the Eighth Amendment mandates taxpayer funding for this because that is an executive and legislative function. And if the state of Idaho doesn't want to appropriate that funding, they have no right to do it. They could say whatever they want. I could say, I wish people give me, um, you know, free Dr. Pepper every day. You know, hey, de Blasio, for all your complaints about soda, here you go. Maybe I deserve free, um, free unhealthy uh, drinks every day. If a convicted felon now has a right to mutilate themselves. But that's not all. There's a recent case. This is from our friends at Judicial Watch. We reported on this case in its preliminary stage. Uh, this is from last week. An Obama-appointed federal judge is forcing Wisconsin taxpayers to provide costly sex reassignment surgery and hormonal procedures for low-income transgender residents who get free medical care from the government. In a recently issued ruling, U.S. District Judge William M. Conley writes that Medicaid, the publicly funding insurance that covers 65.7 million poor people, cannot deny the medical treatment needs of those suffering from gender dysphoria. Officials estimate it will cost up to $1.2 million annual, annually ooh, uh, to provide transgender Medicaid recipients in the Badger State with treatments such as gender confirmation surgery, including elective mastectomies, hysterectomies, genital reconstruction, and breast augmentation. Jeez. Man. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, friend. Friends, this is a quiet week, okay? But yet, what the left is accomplishing with Congress even out of session, state legislatures for the most part out of session, is something that you can never hope to accomplish through the political process. And the courts do this every day. And it takes forever for this stuff to get to the Supreme Court. But even the Supreme Court, they're not the final arbiter of that. I mean, I'm just saying, let's say a court says that, you know what? Um, I don't know. Let's just say they say Republicans, conservatives are a danger to society. And we are going to have, we think that it's cruel and unusual punishment for America to have conservatives living. And we need taxpayer, taxpayer mandated sterilization for conservatives. I, I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm just saying, let's say they said something like that. Is that, is that the law? It's in the Constitution. Well, how do you know it's the Constitution? Well, the court said it is. Well, the courts are the Constitution. They define the con. No, they don't. It is so dangerous. Could you imagine the keys to our society is what? It's the Constitution. And you're saying that the sole and final expositor of that document 
is the unelected branch of government. I mean, that's more despotic than you can ever imagine. And nobody says, time out. Before we fight over everything else politically, could we talk about this? You know, we talked about immigration a lot, how all of our problems today really stem from judicial amnesty. It's the court's saying that you're not allowed to have immigration laws. And all my colleagues are kind of running around saying, well, Congress needs to pass better laws. And I keep mentioning the fact that the laws say illegals have no standing. The laws say illegals don't have any benefits. The laws say illegals are literally as if they are not in the country. And the judicial branch's own case law from the Supreme Court since the 1880s has said this. Yet, over the last decade or so, mainly the lower courts have just defied not just the law and the Constitution, but even the Supreme Court's own precedent on these issues, and no one says a word about it, and everyone treats it as legitimate. I just wanted to read to you just how far the courts have moved on from this. This is U.S. v. Ginsburg in 1917. An alien who seeks political rights as a member of this nation can rightfully obtain them only upon the terms and conditions specified by Congress. Courts are without authority to sanction changes or modifications. Their duty is rigidly to enforce the legislative will. It is that simple. So remember, when we had this judge saying, I don't know, I, that, that law, it's a little unconstitutional. I don't know. No, their own branch of government said 100 years ago, Supreme Court precedent here. Your duty is to rigidly enforce the legislative will on immigration law. This was a, a naturalization case, even, where they were trying to naturalize, uh, even a step ahead. And the court said in, in U.S. v. Ginsburg, 1917, no alien has the slightest right to naturalization unless all statutory requirements are complied with and every certificate of citizenship must be treated as granted upon condition that the government may challenge it and demand its cancellation unless issued in accordance with such requirements. So how is it that I'm the only one who says, wait a minute, stop, stop, time out. This is illegitimate. This is a violation of the court's own precedent. You know, there's discussion with Trump every six months. He kind of drops this. Now talking about um, potentially issuing an executive order ending anchor babies, this notion going forward, not retroactively, but going forward that we just hand out birth certificates to any organism born here, irrespective of how they got here. So illegally broke into our country, demands access to the hospital. We're nice enough to give it to them. And then, huh? That's a citizen. No. As you see, that a citizen can only be brought in on the terms of our laws. And if you break our laws, you can't force a citizen on us. The guy who wrote the birthright citizenship opinion in 1898, Wong Kim Ark, it's Justice Horace Gray. He said that blatantly. He said that blatantly in 1892. That you cannot unilaterally assert jurisdiction. And indeed, in 1898, when he was declaring birthright citizenship, he said very clearly, it's only for children of those permitted to reside here. Everyone ignores that line from the ruling. I never understood it. 
because we don't have a focused movement. But everyone is agreeing that if he winds up doing this, it's all going to hinge on the courts. How could something that fundamental be decided by that? Madison said in an essay on sovereignty that the most Republican-oriented thing, meaning Republican form of government, that, that the power has to reside in the people is determining who becomes a citizen. It has to be the people through its elected representatives. Moreover, the 14th Amendment, Section 5, says that Congress regulates the provisions and the enforcement of that, not the courts. So there you go. It's just unbelievable. And by the way, just as a side note, it's important to note, I could make fun out of Trump for always threatening to do this and never doing it. And there's what to laugh out of. But I mean, it's also, it's our fault too. Trump puts out trial balloons. If we don't have a movement really backing it and pushing for it, he's going to back down. I mean, this has always been the lesson. This has been the lesson of Trump. Unless he feels compelled to act, he won't act. And there's two ways that he feels compelled. One is naturally there's something going on in the world that forces his hand. That was the case with the May border numbers that forced him to finally, you know, stop this asylum nonsense and florists and things like that because he just couldn't let this go on. But then there's things like this. I mean, it's too subtle with the birthright citizenship. The way to force his hand is by the conservative movement, so to speak, getting on his case. And part of getting on his case is issuing a robust defense for what he is proposing to do. But our people are asleep. But anyway, you know, I'm sure some of you saw this, but a couple of weeks ago, going back to judges, this federal judge in Massachusetts said that this Judge uh, Joseph, forgetting her first name now, Judge, judge uh, Joseph, she was the judge that was prosecuted by the, the Department of Justice for literally harboring an illegal alien in her courthouse. She's entitled to her salary during the indictment. And no other federal worker, you know, like let's say you're a Massachusetts state employee and you're indicted, you don't get that salary. So judges ruling for themselves. Circling the wagons. I mean, the degree of rights that they create every day. Again, it's not just the Constitution. Everyone in the legal field, I'm one of the few people to challenge this, but even the people on the so-called right, oh, these are Republican, conservative, judicial nominees. You listen to them at these confirmation hearings. They all espouse the same garbage that the courts are the sole. No, the courts get to decide. But that means that the courts don't just decide the Constitution. They get to decide the contours of rights, of fundamental rights. How do you put that in the hands of unelected, unaccountable people? It makes no sense. It's got to stop. But we don't stop it. And. One of, one of the other things we've been talking about a lot is the crime wave. The fact that after two decades of reduced crime, crime is going up because just like in the 60s and 70s, except it's even worse now, the judges and the political system and the legal field are just granting criminals so many rights, now even evidently to cut your breasts off and have taxpayers pay for it. But we're at a point where, I mean, they're just letting everyone go. 
This is from the Free Beacon, WashingtonFreeBeacon.com. The Democrat majority on North Carolina's Supreme Court ruled to let a child porn offender go free on a technicality and allowed serial sexual offenders to avoid GPS monitoring in two decisions released in August. So we've been talking extensively, discussing extensively on this program, the amount of illegal alien child sex offenders that have been caught in North Carolina. We just wrote about that today from Nate Madden. If you want to check this out, the article on this guy who came to the border with a kid, the paradigm case of Flores, the poster child for Flores, came with a kid, got let out on a GPS tracking system, and then he cut it off, and he wound up raping a child. Now he's convicted, he's, um, he's charged, and there's gonna be a trial, and he is also being charged uh, for identity, for, for cutting off the, the ankle bracelet. And nobody's talking about that case. We're the only ones to report on that. But anyway, you have tons of this. And now judges are saying they don't even need to wear GPS monitoring. This is unbelievable. Democrats now hold a six to one majority on the state Supreme Court. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're basically doing this left and right. Left and right. Using the remand as an opportunity to make a broad policy statement, the majority, though, saying it addresses only one statutory classification, recidivist, applies an unbridled analysis which, which understates the crimes, overstates repeat sex offenders' legitimate expectations of privacy, and minimizes the need to protect society from this limited class of dangerous sex offenders, Newby wrote in the Grady dissent. That's the one sane justice on the North Carolina Supreme Court. And... um. They just create a new uh, new right. A new right. They said ankle monitors um, have Fourth Amendment problems. Everything's in the Constitution, except for what actually is. So now sex offenders get to go free as a result of judicially created rights for child porn and child sex offenders in North Carolina. And then in addition to those in North Carolina as American citizens, as we've noted, there's a rash of sex offenders that we're importing from other countries. And again, Republicans will not talk about this in a meaningful way. And before I get to some of those cases, I just want to continue from Friday's show there. But I just want to close the loop on the courts here. On Friday, the other big news was that, well, the Supreme Court released a statement saying Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has undergone surgery for pancreatic cancer, which is never, never good. And obviously, inevitably, that's going to bring out all sorts of speculation, discussion about a potential vacancy at the Supreme Court. And everyone's predicting, oh, my gosh, there's a civil war, because if this happens in the near future, it's going to give Trump the opportunity to appoint another justice and give conservatives, so to speak, a clear majority on the Supreme Court. Now, those of you who are veterans to the show know that at the end of the day, there's only one consistent originalist on the court, and that's Clarence Thomas. You got Alito to varying degrees who's good. Um, and then the others are often, depending on the issue, very unreliable. 
And we've noted a bunch of reasons why no matter how good you think the Supreme Court is going to get, the lower courts get worse and worse, permanently alter policies and politics and law and the trajectory of politics in this country. I say this all the time. The Supreme Court has almost never rendered a bad immigration opinion in its history. Yet to this day, we have so many bad criminals in this country, so much public charge, so many things that ICE will not do because of Ninth Circuit rulings. Years, going on for years now. So people need to understand that this hope that somehow we're going to win the judiciary is nonsense. Which is why my view on this issue is that if you had a real statesman, this is the time to extend a hand and shake hands with the left and make an agreement. To me, this is the ultimate grand bargain. You guys think that you're somehow going to lose Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat to an arch conservative, lose a majority, fine. We as conservatives should be concerned to begin with about judicial supremacy. How about we shake hands on it and agree to finally take politics out of the courts. In other words, you could adjudicate your cases and controversies, but if a judge is going to give standing to a case that the outcome that they want to render is going to be broadly political, pronouncing some sort of judgment on a broad constitutional provision, fundamental rights, politics, it's not just that case, that the other branches of government will be very clear that that is not binding over the other branches and even over the states, and we're going to continue to fight on that issue. So in other words, if a judge wants to say, you know, this person is entitled to, to transgender surgery because we think transgenderism is in the 14th Amendment. It's in the 8th Amendment. No, the other branches still have a right to push back. And that's true even without this deal. It's true already, but we don't enforce that. That is the grand bargain I would make with the left. The left would be smart to take it because they think that they're about to lose the courts. But I think the right would be smart to take it too because we are never going to win this judicial supremacy game in the long run. And it's not healthy for a republic. It's not the right thing to do. So that is my grand bargain that I would issue. You know, you want to make the Supreme Court nomination, confirmation hearings, less contentious, take the politics out of the courts, and then you'll take the politics out of the confirmation process. And it's going to be just this very hyper-technical legal position that was viewed by the founders as some nerdy, you know, obscure thing that nobody will care about. And it's going to be like the court nominations were for most of our history, which were really unceremonious. This is why... Um, John Jay, who was an original Supreme Court justice, he was offered by John Adams to come back on the court and to, to be nominated as chief justice. And he was like, screw that. You know, John Jay was a flamboyant type of guy. He was a politician. He wanted to do politics. He didn't want to just do bankruptcy law. That is what the court is supposed to be. And I think we'd be stupid as conservatives not to make that deal. See, if we thought, you know, the left would at least on the surface appear to be getting a Supreme Court majority, then obviously, yeah, you know, the left is not going to take that deal from us. But I think now that they view in their mind they're going to lose all these cases, now's the time I think we should make the ultimate deal. And again, we'd be stupid not to take it. Now, 
I just wanted to move on. I said, you know, we have a number number of these, uh, you know, sexual assault cases, this type of stuff um, that's just out of control, out of control. This is a new story I missed. Kenyan man gets life sentence for raping elderly U.S. patient. Now, in all the American media, they reported this guy as a Dallas man, a Dallas, Texas man. But if you go to, this is the Daily Nation, it has a Kenya URL, so I'm assuming it's a Kenyan paper, and I found a couple others like that. You see the Kenyan media is actually reporting on this, that the guy is a Kenyan, or at least came from Kenya. And it's their first word in their article, but no one else is reporting this. Now, this happened in 2018, but still. A Kenyan man has been sentenced to life imprisonment by a U.S. court for sexually assaulting a 74-year-old patient at a medical facility where he was working. Anthony Mambolio Nayakeo, 53, was convicted Wednesday of two counts of aggravated sexual assault of an elderly or disabled person. Nayako's victim was living at the Wood, Woodridge uh, Health and Rehabilitation Center in Grapevine, Texas, when the crime occurred in January 2018. Um, she died last year, aged 75. Evidence filed in court showed that the sexual assault was discovered after other nurses working at the facility found blood in the underwear of the victim. An exam found evidence, jeez, vaginal tearing consistent with sexual abuse and staff collected DNA that was eventually used to tie Mr. Nyoko to the assault. After the discovery of blood, all male staff at the facility had at the time the suspected assault took place, were asked to undergo a DNA test. The Tarrant County DA's office told the court that Mr. Nuneko's DA sample matched the sample recovered from the women during her sexual assault exam. The court was also told that the Kenyan nurse who immigrated to the U.S. raped the elderly woman despite knowing that she could not resist or consent to a sexual advance. I, I, I can't, I mean... She could not speak, feed herself, or use the bathroom on her own. As she wore a diaper and relied on staff, we are an aging community and we each deserve the peace of mind of knowing we will be treated with dignity when such time comes. Jordan uh, Rolfe, the lead prosecutor, told the court. In addition, prosecutors also said in court documents that Nyeko had also sexually harassed his colleagues and that he attempted to leave Texas during the investigation. <sighs> Doesn't this sound familiar? Do you remember two weeks ago, we reported on an ongoing investigation, a trial about another Kenyan healthcare worker who originally was an illegal alien who smothered 19 seniors to death. What is it? Folks, if I had the control of the media that the left does, or if I had control of the media, even that the pseudo right has, if I had Fox News, I would get the country more riled up about this, riled up about this, than El Paso. This is the worst nightmare of anyone. Everyone knows that, you know, there's tough decisions to make with elderly parents. It's the most vulnerable uh, position to be in. If anything, in terms of medical staff, in terms of nursing home staff, you need the most vetted people around. Why is there no national discussion on criminal aliens 
that are allowed to be in this country. Where's the vetting? What was known about this guy? How did he get a green card? Now, I looked up briefly his criminal record. It wasn't robust, but he did. He was caught, I think, twice driving without a license. You know, these are the type of things when you see a foreign national in this country, I'm assuming he was legal, but still, why, you know, they should be on the radar of DHS then. I'm not saying driving without the license is, is, is it, you know, the worst of crimes, but that type of guy should already start to be on our radar. And these are the discussions that I plan to push, but no one will listen to me, that we need to have to jujitsu the focus on gun control that's inevitably going to take place when the critters come back to Congress next week. Why aren't they focusing on this rash of brutal murders, brutal sexual assaults by foreign nationals, especially on seniors, when it comes to people that should have been properly vetted? If this would be done with a gun, we'd be saying, where did he get a gun from? So again, why was he given a green card? Here's another one. This happened uh, earlier in, in August. KIRO Seattle. Boy, there's a lot of news out of Seattle with sanctuary cities. We have an article out today on them refusing to participate in the law enforcement data sharing program because they're scared ICE might get a hold of data. So they're therefore going to harm all law enforcement as a result of it. But this was earlier this month. I forgot to talk about this. A man is behind bars after authorities say he raped a disabled woman in a nursing home where he worked. This wasn't a Kenyan. This was a Nigerian. According to court documents, 29-year-old Anishimaya Hamzat, nursing assistant at Foss Home and Village Nursing Home in North Seattle, was caught on a hidden camera. And then there's a picture of it sexually assaulting the victim more than once. Hasman is charged with second-degree rape. I asked him, what are you doing to me? He said to me back, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to clean you, the victim said, who did not want to give her name. She described feeling shame, and because of that, she did not immediately tell her family. I was feeling that nobody would help me. Once she told her family, her brother bought the hidden camera and did not tell his sister about his plan, which made him nervous. He was worried if the suspect found the hidden camera, he might hurt his sister even more. Um... He said the video proof made him lose his appetite. Hamzat, who the state says owns another adult care home himself in Bothell, Washington, where operations have since been suspended, remains jailed. And um, according to Seattle media, there is another investigation involving another sexual assault at the same facility. Hamzat is not a citizen and came to the, this country from Nigeria. Well, 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 well. Um, I, I don't know what to say. These are three cases here we have of African migrant health workers in this country, not properly vetted, able to remain here, either brutally raping elderly or disabled or both, you know, elderly women, and in the case of the other guy, smothering 19 to death. And there's no talk about this. There's no discussion. We're going to be coming out with an agenda, if I have time, for next week on all of the things we need to focus on. Because what we are doing is not working. 
And for the life of me, I don't know why I'm the only one doing this. But remember the power of a story. One story, one narrative, the left could drive politics forever. They could drive law. They could drive policy. They could drive Congress's legislative agenda. But all these stories that implicate open borders, lack of vetting for, for green cards, and no one even knows about these cases. So I might sound like a broken record here, but I'm going to keep focusing on this because someone's got to know about this. Maybe I'll do a, a print article on this as well. But this is insane. I'm starting to see a pattern here. Let me know if you, you're seeing this pattern as well. Um, I know many of you have sent me cases and I'm, I'm forgetting who it was. And I apologize if uh, if I'm missing you. I, I know one of you sent me a email over the weekend, but this was another story. Lehigh Acres man arrested for sexually assaulting a child. This is in um, near Fort Myers, uh, Lee County, Florida. A Lehigh Acres man. I, I love this. A Lehigh Acres man um, was arrested after he was accused of sexually assaulting a child younger than 12. 45-year-old Richard Rincon Gutierrez is currently being held at the Lee County Jail on a half a million dollar bond. He was arrested Thursday evening. Lee County deputies arrested Rincon Gutierrez after his victim recently came forward about the years of sexual abuse she received. The girl told deputies the abuse started in another country when she was just eight years old and continued when she moved to the U.S., according to the report. The latest is all happened a month ago. So that means that this guy came with her. I don't know if he's family. It's not clear what it is, but the guy is likely an illegal, certainly not a citizen, certainly came here a few years ago. Rincon Gutierrez's neighbor said that they were appalled and disgusted to learn about the heinous accusations made. Um, Rincon Gutierrez's wife declined to comment, though she has a wife. I wonder if she has an anchor baby, too, that we're going to be stuck with. We're going to be focusing on this safety and security agenda. We're going to be focusing on getting tough on sexual assault, not just for illegal aliens, but for you know, American criminals, too. For all this Me Too movement, somehow when it comes to the very people that are in our system... We just let them go. And there's all sorts of cases now being let go, let go. Every one of these people. Let me read you one more case from San Antonio. It's from Matt Trammell, convicted child predator indicted for slitting strangers throat during home invasion. A man was indicted for breaking into a stranger's home, stealing his bike phone and leaving him with a slit throat on August 7th. The Tom Green County grand jury indicted Lavre on two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. According to the court reports, on June 2nd, the San Angelo Police Department, I'm sorry, I said San, San Angelo Police Department, was dispatched to the area of Prasur and Main Streets for a, call, for a call about a man being a robber. Once they arrived, police met, met the victim, who was visibly bleeding right under his Adam's apple. Real nice. Police say that while the victim was sleeping, a man entered the home and put a pocket knife against his throat. He then received a punch to the eye that caused visible Swelling, the man then started to press and cut his throat when the victim escaped and ran out of the door with nothing but his pants on. Before the man left, he took the victim's phone and bicycle. Um, he, let, you know, he left behind stuff that they were able to track him down with. Now, here's the deal. Police identified the man as Chad Lavery, 39. He was originally arrested on an active warrant for failure to appear. He was later charged with burglary. Um, 
I looked up his record. He has a record like 20 years long. Guess what? He's registered as a child sex offender and he was convicted on multiple child rape charges as well as a, he has a whole other history. Why was he out? Why was he out? I'm Daniel. There's too many people in jail and prison that, that, that they're there for nonviolent crimes. They served sentences that are too long. That's what the retarded Teletubbies are saying, even in the conservative think tanks and conservative politicians in this administration, by the way, in the White House. Endless, endless cases. And there you have it, folks. Endless child rape charges. You know, I feel bad because I wanted my, you know, family, even potentially my oldest son to be able to listen to these shows. But they're increasingly becoming so gruesome. But I mean, that's what it is. This is what's going on. And, and, and what I see is just a fraction of what happens. Anyway, send me your comments, questions, and concerns to Blaze... Uh, let's grab my email here. dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at armconservative. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Conservative Review. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure to check out our video as well. Let's increase our numbers. You know, I know some of you are telling me, ah, YouTube, they censor, I don't like them. Well, look, the best way to get back at them is by, uh, you know, making sure that videos they don't particularly like become popular. That, my friends, is how to like a video. Anyway, till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thanks for listening.